You are listening to episode 260 of the Game Inflators podcast. My name is John. I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Inflators podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we get into gear in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. Very happy you used my suggestion on getting into gear or some form of gears. But this week we are playing Top Gear on the Super Nintendo. We actually stuck to a promise, Ryan. We said we were going to play this game. We actually stuck to it and played it. I mean, that's not so uncommon. No, it's pretty uncommon. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes the promise will go through for weeks and then we get to it or sometimes it just never happens. Yeah, Uh, this time we stuck to it. All right. Well, before we get started, you can find the Game Deflators on thegamedeflators.com. You can also find us on social media at Game Deflators on X, at The Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook, and threads too. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. So just search up The Game Deflators. And lastly, you're listening to a podcast application and uh, you're listening to us. So leave us a five star review. And if you got another podcast app, leave a five star review there as well. We solicit a lot of reviews. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know what? We like reviews. We're never going to stop asking. Yeah, we're never going to stop asking. And uh, leave us a comment, too, on wherever you're listening. All right. Let's kick it off with some recent pickups. I actually picked up more video games back-to-back weeks. I'm surprised. Woo! And this is a good one. This is one I want us to play. Yeah, so uh, Pocky and Rocky Reshrined was, I think, $12. I think is what I told you Ooh. the other day on Amazon for new copies. So couldn't turn that down. I was like, it's not a bad deal at all. Uh, I also got my copies of um, Ayudan Chronicles Rising, and and I say copies of that because uh, I'll go into detail here in a second, and a Little Dragon Cafe, which is kind of like Harvest Moon, but a cafe. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I got to give that a shot. So Ayudan Chronicles, you know, GameStop does this whole thing where new copies, if you go in store and it's their display shelf copy, right? And they say, hey, everything was gutted. We just used it for display on the shelf. The game's brand new. It's an urban play, blah, blah. Obviously, we all call bullshit. We think that's a lie. Well, I ordered from their online you know, store and uh, because they had like 50% off deal, I figured, all right, cool. I'll be getting brand new games. I got the like, you know, sealed, you know, in the new polyfilm bag or whatever. I got one of those. I'm like, that's weird. Why the hell would I get one of those considering it's from their website and it's coming from a warehouse? And this is typically, you know, a situation where if the game was uh, brand new on shelf and they need to display copy, blah, blah, blah. So it doesn't make any sense that a warehouse would be in that same sort of constraint. So I said, that's got to be a mistake. I open up the case and it's got smudges on it. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, seriously, like it's supposed to be a new game and you got smudges on it. And then the little trading cards that came with it had nicks on the corner. I'm like, that's also bullshit. So I called up their customer service and said, hey, you guys sent me, you know, I bought a brand new game. You guys sent to me in that poly seal stuff. And it's got nicks on the cards and there's smudges on the disc. It's clearly not a brand new copy if it's got fingerprints on it. And um, they're like, oh, OK, it must have been a mistake. We'll send you another one. Three days later, I get another one. Poly seal bag. I'm like, that's so stupid. Like, there's no way that all they have is like brand new open copies of this game. And for what reason? Like, it made no sense to me unless they were planning on selling all of them as it's used at a certain point in time. It just didn't make sense to have all of them like poly seal wrapped. I don't know, like, 
I've definitely seen places before where they'll like, like you'll go to GameStop and get a game and it's just got like a sticker on it. Like it's not like new, new, but it's like you can't return it new at this point. Like it's open game yeah. for you. And that's what's stupid. It's like, how do I know that the contents are in there, right? Like the only way for me to actually know the contents is in there is to open it up and make mm -hmm. sure it's okay. So then by doing that, I automatically void whatever type of like new product warranty is on there because of that. So that's stupid to begin with. Like it's ridiculous that I even do that. And then the other piece, and you know, I honestly kind of want to call them again, be like, guys, like you sent me again, another copy that's like poly seal bagged because they gave the other one to me for free. So like, what you know, game this, is this? This is a uh, Union Chronicle Rising. Oh, this is that like uh, Suikoden kind of yeah. successor? Yeah, it's the one oh, that yeah. came. That looks yeah. cool. Well, it's the one that came before the 100 Heroes one. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, so it, like that's voided automatically if you crack it open because you got to check to make sure your content's actually there because you got to trust that they sent it. And then, you know, the other part of that is, um, you know, it's just the return policy is just screwed at that point. Like you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I checked locally, like the different stores to see if anybody was carrying it like a copy. So I could go in and say, hey, do you have it with like the actual shrink wrap? Because I would like to get a new copy with the actual shrink wrap. No copy is carrying it near me. Mm. So like you have multiple copies online that are brand new. And you're sending them poly seal bagged and nobody's got it locally. So that, again, just makes like no sense. So Weird. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody from GameStop listening and they can comment and tell us what the hell's up. But like, it makes no sense to me. That would be cool. It would be cool. All right. And so I also picked up Magic the Gathering cards. I'm doing a lot of spec buys on the Caverns of Ixalan set. Mm. Um, so I've picked up several different like artifacts that I think are going to be pretty cool. Uh, Dredge specific based artifacts. And then I'm also looking at mill deck type stuff. That's so, what I made. A dredge deck, really? Uh, no, um, uh, descend. Out of descend deck? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same deal. Um, so I'm going to be pulling a lot of that. I, I've got a deck in mind that I want to build that's blue-black that focuses on milling out your opponent while also dredging um, cards to be able to pull out more mill. So the overall idea is like stealing cards off the top of your opponent's library countering their stuff milling them and then like ultra mill with things like jace and breach the multiverse and things of that nature so really trying to like steal a lot of their stuff is like the end goal and then mm. i gotta figure out a way to ramp it so that's gonna be a tough thing is ramping yeah but, but we'll see um but i think there's i think it's tainted indulgence i think is a card that allows you to take like you can look at the top two cards of your opponent's library and exile them and play them at any point and any mana taps for them. So, I mean, obviously I could steal land, you know, would be an option there. Um, and then obviously Jace, I can mill 15. I've got cards that mill like four cards off my opponent's library. Uh, there's a land that's coming out that when it attacks, it mills four cards from your opponent's library. Um, Breach the Multiverse exiles 13 cards from top. And I've got another one that's like, they mill half their library as well. And it's like a four drop unearth, so I can mill it and then bring it in for four. And then when it attacks, they have to mill half their library. So like there's some stupid mill cards coming out um, in addition to what's already in, you know, play. So we'll see. I'm going to have some fun. See if I can win some tournaments with some mill and annoy some people. Nice. Yeah, should be good. And then currently playing, uh, we're playing Last of Us Part 2 still. We are, of course, playing as Abby. 
and we are looking for Owen right now at the aquarium, which means the fantastic sex scene is coming very soon. Um, so my wife is not aware of the scene and I am just waiting to see her face of disgust when this happens. Cause it is not a very pretty scene. No, no, not at all. <laughs> so there's lots of memes on that. If you are not familiar. And, uh, lastly, I started playing tales of symphonia. Yeah. What do you think? It's pretty cool. Um, I, I gotta get used to like the, the attacking and such. Like it's just, it's kind of odd where you're controlling your character kind of freestyle while also mm -hmm. attacking. Uh, and then you have like your special attacks and whatnot. It looks like it's, and it's not exactly like, um, you know, top down view or like kind of third it's side scroller. View. It's like yeah, a it's, side scroller beat em up action RPG. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. Like I had never really experienced that. I always thought it was a third person view for some reason. Mm -hmm. And now finding out it's, yeah, side scrolling beat em up style um, with whatever special abilities you have. But um, I'm only in like the first I'm in the temple still. Yeah, I'm only in that first temple. I figured out like the puzzle where you got to kind of get the ring and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, I did that. Um, I went back and healed because I was getting my ass kicked. And so I healed at the village, came back again and saved. And that's where I am right now. I've been picking up the items and such. And then I got to start kind of traversing through the temple. Um, I think I'm level six right now, uh, six or seven. And it's pretty cool. Like I, I like it. Um, I think uh, there are some elements of voice acting in the front end. So that's pretty cool. Um, hearing the voices. And then of course it's just kind of text based after the fact. Uh, but I think graphically it's, it's really nice graphically. Like it's a very pretty game. Um, it is interesting though, like how giant the monsters are in like the open world. So like I was, I don't know, there's like these black blobs in the open yeah. world and I'm just kind of going around. They're like double your size when you actually open up the fight or like a quarter of your size. So very interesting in that respect. I guess it's one of those situations where they're like, hey, we want to make sure you actually battle. And so we're going to make them gigantic. So it's hard to get out of their way mm -hmm. and go around them. And so you're kind of forced into that level up aspect. Uh, but yeah, overall, I'm I'm enjoying it so far. And, you know, I'll kind of keep you in the loop as as far as like what happens with that and how far I get. And, you know, I intend to beat this game. I don't know how long it is to beat, though. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty uh, decent size RPG, I think. Let's see. Oh, yeah, geez. I was going to look at it. I love this uh, game, though. It's approximately 47 hours. Jesus, what did I get myself into? Yeah, yeah, I love this game. I mean, you're just at like the very tippy tip, you know, like the battling gets so much. I mean, it gets a little bit more added to it. But I mean, you start getting like just a ton of skills that you'll choose from and you get like different gear. Um the world itself, I just find to be so fun. Like, have you found like any of like the hidden chefs? No, I haven't found it. I found I've been cooking every now and then whenever it gives me the option. But like, I'm not 100% familiar with like what the cooking does or anything like that. Yeah, it gives you like bonuses and stuff. So uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It, it's a great game. There's so much to that. And I like the story, too. It's kind of got some some of those like tropey you know, things that you see in like a ton of RPGs, but I really do enjoy the characters and kind of the scope the story goes over. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see you play this and, and you know, how you like it. And what are you playing on again? You're playing on PS3? PS3, yeah. And yeah. I'm already like forgetting character names and stuff, to be honest. Like I haven't you have played plenty that. of time to, <laughs> yeah, to, to learn. learn. Yeah, I do. And you like, can play the other characters too. Like, if you ever mm -hmm. want, like, just a break from playing Lloyd, you can always like 
switch to another party member and play like a little bit different for a while. Yeah, I noticed that. And like if I want to do any like spot healing and stuff, like if one character I'm playing doesn't have certain items, I can kind of switch in between those characters and use their items. So that's kind of cool. Um, I got to figure out how to like, well, no, I, I saw it earlier, like the the battle process where you tell them like, hey, I want you to do X, Y, Z. Um, so I got to set them a little bit differently uh, mm-hmm. to make sure to like one person's <laughs> using magic, one person's focused on support, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty cool so far. Um, I'm excited to dig into it. And I didn't realize it was 47 hours. So we're going to be at this for a long time. Uh, considering my ability to play games is sometimes anywhere between uh, five minutes and an hour and a half, depending <laughs> on how fast I fall asleep on the couch. So and the other day I was falling asleep on the couch is like, Lloyd is going into walls and stuff and like, yeah, moving. so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens long term. Um, all right. How about yourself? Pickups? Uh, so I didn't pick up anything new this week other than I went to the Lost Caverns of Ixalan pre-release the other night with a friend of ours. It was pretty fun. I had a good time. Um, I actually did pretty well. I went, uh, one and two or no, two and one. I lost my first match and, and that I won both of my other ones. Um, but I had a fun uh, deck. It was like, you know, a little bit of self mill and just like being able to uh, sacrifice and not be afraid to lose things on the board because the descend mechanic has creatures that get bonuses based on how many permanents you have in your graveyard at any given time. So um, the like slip, extra card that they give you, you know, in the clear pack that comes with the pre-release that I got was um, this uh, black creature that was uh, star star plus one for descent. It's like fathomless descent, I think is what it's called when it's like just whatever the number is that's in there. And then there's like a descent four and a descent eight. And then there's like this other guy that I got this um, pretty good enchantment that whenever something hit my graveyard that was a permanent that's called descending um i could just put a one one counter on something so i had just some creatures that were pretty decent like i could get at least four cards in my graveyard in a couple of turns i got some pretty good like big beefy monsters too that had land cycling so that's a really easy way to pull out some more mana put something else in the graveyard and like make use of something that you can't use till like turn seven. Did so, you get any dinosaurs? <clears throat> yeah. So <laughs> this always happens to me. Like I pulled like four uh, rare reds oh, and nice. I didn't even use red. I just played black and blue. Oh, well, I'm interested <laughs> in your red cards. Man. <laughs> yeah, I got um, some big red dinosaur. Thomas got one, too. Thomas got that uh, white God card, which is oh, pretty yeah, I neat. saw. Yeah, he told me. Oh, so you got the um, the six drop seven six red dinosaur? Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. It looks kind of like a feathery T Rex or something. I think that might be the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Huh. If you want it, I'm not going to use it for anything. I'm I didn't interested. even open like it's so weird. Like I had I won two packs, but I don't I don't open the packs anymore because I'm just saving them for like doing drafts or chaos drafts or whatever in the future. So I've just got like, now I think I've got like 10 unopened packs. It's just such a weird thing to have for me. Nice. Yeah, I I open all my packs. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't do my 
they're just they're worth more to me closed now because if I open them, they're just going to sit in a box. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Um, well, I'm interested in your red cards. So next time I see you bring them over and, uh, you know, I may buy some of them from you, depending yeah. on what you got. It you was know, really just... fun. I would draft this again. Okay. You know, yeah, like I... I just didn't get any dinosaurs that were worth dinosauring with, you know, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll definitely draft that one with you. I'm, I'm excited to play. Maybe we can do that. Um, next week if there's drafting available yeah because i know like between we can probably get some of the guys if we want to go out to like authoria or something we can go draft out there yeah everybody wants to and i've got a new guy that we also worked with who's interested now i was like he he was like hey talking to me about it i was like yeah dude just get arenas you'll learn how to play in like a day or two yeah what and about so rob the guy that we occasionally play with the older guy was he there uh no he wasn't Oh, interesting. I've been trying to get in touch with him to draft of us. And like, I don't know. Hmm. He's got health issues. He's a, he's a much older guy, but I don't know what's going on. I know he did have some health issues for a while there. I don't so, know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But it would be good to play with him and maybe get a group together for the set. I'm definitely excited to play. Yeah, I've also been playing more backpack battles. And I know that Steam keeps track of the time played, but it you know, doesn't necessarily discern if it's idle time or whatever. So I don't know how much actual playtime I have, but Steam has me logged at like 120 hours, which seems like way too much. <laughs> you could have beat Pikmin like 12 times now. Yeah, I know. But I'm only going to beat it once and I'm going to make it count. <laughs> Actually, 14 times, I think. No, 15, 15 <laughs> times. Yeah, you could have beat Pikmin 15 times, Ryan. No. I'm just trying to figure out that eight hour time. Yeah. Something else I could have done more than 15 times by now is uh, watch the Five Nights at Freddy's movie, which we have both done now. Oh, I didn't know so you saw it too. We're going to talk about that. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, I, I have. I saw it, didn't I? Uh, no, I don't think you did actually. We oh, were talking yeah. Just now. Um, yeah. So we saw that Friday. Like, that's one of the reasons we didn't go to Excellent pre release, or my wife and I, mm -hmm. um, or at least me, because uh, she wouldn't have gone to pre release. So we saw the Five Nights at Freddy's movie and we went in kind of blind. Like I knew about the, the game, right? And I know about it. I know the whole thing of like your security guard and you got these animatronic creatures or whatever to come out and, you know, but that's everything all you know. You, but you know as much knew. about Five Nights at Freddy's as you probably know about Roblox. Yeah, like it's not. a thing that exists. I know more about Five Nights than I do about <laughs> Roblox. I can guarantee you that. Um, I don't even know what the hell Roblox is. <laughs> so I know it's a game or something that kids play, and I, I don't know anything beyond that. I don't know if it's robots and blocks or if it's Anyways, just blocks. I, yeah, okay. Back so to, either back way, to Freddy's robots. More important stuff. There's no, okay, there are robots, um, technically. So, you know, I'll just kind of give my my quick thing. I, I enjoyed it. I thought that was pretty cool. In terms of a horror movie, I it wasn't scary, obviously. There was a couple jump things that they did through in there, but I didn't jump. And, you know, I know they kept the PG 13, which is kind of disappointing to some people, but I also totally understand why they did because the main audience of this movie is not going to be most people 17 and older. It's going to be more, you know, well, teenagers. Well, this game though, the original five nights at Freddy's came out like how long ago? Like, uh, eight, know, years like ago? eight years ago. <laughs> I, I get that. But like kids are playing it today. It's not when you're going in as an adult, you're typically going in for nostalgia purposes for something like this. If you're going in as a kid, you're going because you enjoy playing Five Nights at Freddy's, 
right? And it's still kind of a big thing for the most part, from what I understand with like the younger audience right now. So I understand why it was kept. 2014, nine years. Yeah, I understand so, why it was kept as PG-13, though. Yeah. Um, there was some blood scenes and such, and like it's very much emphasized like there's a body literally chopped in half, right? But you don't really see a ton of gore. You just know it happens. So a 13-year-old, yeah, it's pretty disgusting for them to see something like that. But at the same time, it's not bloody. It's not gory. Um, it's a fun film. It's a nice popcorn flick to watch. I kind of wish we would have seen about it during as, Halloween. It's about as gory as like an itchy and scratchy cartoon. I, I think even that's gorier, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like Probably, just, actually. Yeah, it's just cartoon style. So... You know, I I will say, though, if you haven't seen like the Nicolas Cage movie, the animatronics, I I kind of liked that one better, honestly, yeah. in terms of like not the story, because like the Nicolas Cage movie, I forget what it's called, but it's a direct ripoff. Yeah. hundred percent ripoff, like the whole concept of like and it came guy, out years ago now. Yeah, uh, about three years ago. So it's like the whole concept of like this guy that owned a pizza arcade place and kidnapped kids and killed them and then turned them into like spirits to be able to take over uh, these animatronics. The animatronics are trying to kill you all. It's the exact same story in both movies. The only difference is one Nicolas Cage is like just going crazy and slaughtering all of them uh, and killing them on a nightly basis and fighting and has no lines and there's some story. And in this one, there's actually like a story and a, a, you know, whole big like lore behind it so um but i did really like the action on the nicholas cage movie um in comparison but it is a direct ripoff and so you know in watching this i mean we enjoyed it for what it was right critics are really harsh but it's got like an 85 rotten tomatoes audience score uh and yeah i just i enjoyed it i thought it was a fun film yeah so i'm coming at it from kind of a whole different level here so YouTube fanatic that I am, I've been watching Matt Pat and the game theory and all his channels for years. So he's probably got like 80 videos on five nights at Freddy's. Now I've watched all of them multiple times and I've never played any of the games a single time, but I know like just about all of the details and stuff that he's ever like told us about because I've never read the books or done any firsthand actual knowledge, but uh, knowing what I do know about the series, I thought they did a pretty good job. Like I, I didn't know what they were going to do. I didn't expect to see Matt Pat in the movie himself. He was the, uh, the waiter when they were at their meeting. And, oh, I didn't know uh, that. yeah. So he, seeing him, I know there was a couple other YouTubers. I don't watch them. So it was fun seeing him in the movie. Um, I thought it was really good for what it was. Um, I like the the guy from Hunger Games that was in it. I think he did a uh, pretty good Shaggy, job. Shaggy of Scooby Doo. He was in there too. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the that's the main villain is Shaggy. Yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. I I thought that they did you know the animatronics pretty well. You know, I wasn't expecting them to be mind blowing, but I thought that they fulfilled the role pretty well and. You know, they were creepy enough without being so like out of place looking like I imagine they probably would feel. Well, and there was some humor in the movie, too. So it had a few funny scenes to kind of get you giggling a little bit while you were watching as well, like the cab driver situation. Yeah. And I mean, like a lot of horror movies, they try to cram in, you know, 
like we need some emotional reasons for what's happening in here and i thought they did a pretty good job with that like a lot of horror movies like the non-horror parts of the movie can kind of really bring it down if that story's like not really engaging but like his whole thing with like dreaming and like his brother and it being tied together and the like um you know trying to take care of his sister like that whole storyline for him personally you know i thought it, he did a good job with and you know it was not a bad part of the film it wasn't the best part but i mean you know the horror movies aren't always the best movies yeah there were a lot of like i will say certain scenes that you know like the main villain i knew right away yeah i was like yep that's the villain you know that's the big bad guy um the whole concept of like the bunnies and all that or the yellow bunny or yellow rabbit like that was automatic i knew it was happening there to kids and like yep those are ghosts those are ghost kids like this is what's happened like all of that type of stuff is very quick what i didn't know was going to happen was like the daughter situation um so i didn't think that was gonna i i didn't think that was the case right i thought it was just somebody who like was in the know but i didn't know beyond that um yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. Now, one question I did have, though, cause, and you're probably more familiar with this. Isn't it when he gets back into, like, the security room that they can't follow him there? Well, so, I mean, in the games, you're in the security room and you have, like, you can shut the doors and use your flashlight and stuff to, like, spook them away. Yeah. But I mean... That's, that's what I found odd. It's like they kept going in the security room like that's not supposed to happen well i mean there's i think contextually it just would make no sense for moviegoers to just be like oh why can't they go into the security room and then they would have to have a scene that explains why they can't go into the security room and it would be kind of like maybe just shoehorned in yeah, I mean, all, honestly, all it would be is they rush into the security room and the animatronics are just kind of hanging out there staring at them. He's like, oh, they can't get in. Like, they must not be able to get into the room. Like, that's all that we really needed to see on that to really kind of get it. But, you know, every time he fell asleep, like he got cut and it's like very obvious, like, oh, yeah, you got cut by this thing because it went into the security room. But then at the same time, like, well, if they don't like him and they want to kill him. He's asleep in the security room. They're clearly allowed to go in, it seems. So why can't they just kill him in the security room while he's asleep? And I don't know. Like, like there's no a plot hole. Well, so they can't not get into the security room. Like you're doing stuff to keep them out. Like if you just sit there in the security room in the game, they will come in and kill you. You yeah. have to like strategically flash your lights and lock the door. But the like power is shaky. So like the power locks on the doors will only last so long. Yeah, and so that's... So they will just walk in and kill you if you're not proactively keeping them out. So then again, key plot hole, right? Like, they well, had the ability to go in while he was asleep. <laughs> yeah, but the movie wasn't, like, about... I know. It wasn't necessarily about trying to kill him. I mean, they, they had to adapt the game. It's a very It was more so game. trying to get to the sister is what it kind of came down to. And the only way to get to the sister is by him staying alive and bringing her and all that. So made sense like i i get it but at the same time like yeah come on like that's something that we could have adapted but also like the monster never just kills the person on the first night 
Like when your house is haunted, like you deal with that for a little while until it really starts to go down and your life's that's, in danger. That's true. They got to play a few little bit. It's kind of yeah. your head. Yeah. Makes sense. All, All right. right. So, well, this week we are looking at uh, Sony thinks that they found a way to DVR your whole playthrough. Uh, Mario RPG is out early for uh, everybody sailing the high seas and <laughs> a long running, uh, long ranting uh, series is going to be meeting its end this week. And we'll go over all of those. Uh, John, you want to start us off? Yeah, let's go ahead and kick it off with a uh, new Sony patent is going to let you replay a game from any point possible. And this is uh, Grant Taylor Hill at Insider Gaming. Uh, so I thought this was really cool. I saw your notes here um, and I know we'll have a little discussion going, but uh, I think it's really cool. The, the concept here is that say you beat a game and you go through it and you want to revisit a specific scene. There are like sub or uh, sub chapters that go through the chapters so you can get to certain scenes in video games to replay them. So the example that I saw in this article was, say you are trying to do a tutorial on how to beat a certain boss rather than having to do a bunch of save states or replay the game to get to that point to do it, you can go straight to that boss, you can beat that boss, and then you can go ahead and do your tutorial. Um, you could stream for from any section you want. You know, um, there's there's no like limits essentially as to what you can and can't do with these games. So from a from a perspective of like a streamer or some, or just a content creator in general, like this is huge being able to pick and choose certain areas to go to for video games. So that's really what I got out of it. The, the negative or really the big question mark is like, how the hell are they going to house all of this? Cause like, you're basically looking like, are you looking at like tons and tons of servers to house data for save States? Like, so nobody's hundred percent sure yet how this is going to work from a you know a logistics and technical perspective but i think you know the overall like thought process and like different save states like that um i think that's very easy i don't see that being an issue um you know trying to fulfill that like objective but like the again like the servers and how it's actually gonna be housed and the data and how that looks on your playstation that's all up in the air right yeah i mean it seems to me like if they were going to do it, it would probably be either an additional, you know, point of sale, you know, tag to like just put on the bottom of like PS Plus or whatever they've got now for their highest tier. Or maybe it becomes its own like all right, now games, you know, streaming and online content is getting to the point where we feel like we need to basically make like a PlayStation one drive for you to house all this data. And here's your, your, how much cap you get for free. Here's how much cap you get. If you pay, here's how much cap you get. If you have the premium tier, because like they're going to need some way. Cause like most of this is going to go unused. So unless they want to put a, you know, a timetable on it where it's like, okay, we'll preserve all your data for a year. Is that long enough or whatever the case may be? Cause like once you're done doing whatever, you know, if you're a streamer or content creator or somebody like you said, and you're like, okay, Hey, let's go back to this game at this point. I'll make some content around this or whatever. 
Well, a year from now, you're probably not doing that same content, but that same data is still there. It was useful for you that one time, but perpetually, do you need that same access to it? Or is this something that like at the end of every week, go back and put a check mark next to the ones that you want to keep? I don't know. It just seems like such a niche feature that is super powerful, but it's like, it feels to me like my first thought was like, this is turning every game into sands of time. We well, can just rewind back to any moment and rebuild the future of this world. And there's many games that once you beat them, there is a chapter selection mode that you can go in and like, oh, you want to replay. Yeah, this but what chapter? if you don't want to play the first 20 minutes of that chapter? John, I, yeah, you wanna, I know. You want to go straight to 20 minutes later in the chapter. Yeah, That's I know. Reasonable request. I, I get it. I get it. So I guess really like, yeah, they're patenting this, but at the same time, it's it's BS. It's kind of a thing already. It's just not to this extent. Yeah. So I think that's really what it kind of comes down to. Like it's more than just like this that we're reading, right? There's got to be a lot more to warrant you know a who, patent for it. You know who made this? The person who made this is somebody who does have an appreciation like me. Like I definitely get where this person's coming from. I had save states or save slots on my PS2 like right before all of the sweet cutscenes in Final Fantasy X. Yep, me too. So I could go right back to that save and watch that sweet, you know, like them coming into port or like the fight with Sin and Ocean. Like, and then I think didn't like once you beat the game, you could go back and just rewatch the videos. Or yeah, I never theater. beat the game. So there's actually a theater mode in the game. Okay. Yeah, like you can sense. literally go back and rewatch all the cutscenes in theater mode. So. There's I mean, that a, wasn't an uncommon feature for games back in the day. No. So I I think it's it's interesting and I'm excited to see if this patent actually I mean, Sony can file patents all they want. Like it happens like it happens file all, patents the all the time. And whether or not it actually becomes anything, we'll find out. But yeah. that's, that's where it stands now. Uh, all right. So as Ryan said, um, there are members of the Nintendo community sailing the high seas and Super Mario RPG. Uh, the ROM actually leaked online. And so this is Brian at Nintendo everything. Uh, so, you know, just kind of state here, like this isn't the first time this year that you no, know, this happens at the internet. Every like, game. So like Pikmin had the same thing, new fire emblem engage. I'm pretty sure Metroid did as well. So something's going on at Nintendo for like these games to be leaking all the time. Like every new release. Is well, I don't games. think it's people at Nintendo. I think it's like, you know, copies walking out of warehouses and stuff like that, or people getting things in and then just breaking street date. Maybe. Yeah. And then, that's true. you know, it only takes one person to get it home, crack it and upload it. And then it's out there. I just haven't really seen this with like PlayStation Xbox games though. Like at least it's not as, I don't know, widely publicized when it happens. Well, so the first, like, batch of switches i know that you can just hack with like a a safety pin or something or a paper clip yeah it's supposed to be ridiculously easy to do that i i don't know exactly how it works i've got a friend who's hacking his right now so I'll, i'll ask zach how it goes but yeah the uh he just got a new one though so his doesn't have that feature mine might have to check mine mine probably does actually you got yours like pretty close to launch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I got it almost like within two weeks of launch, I think. Okay, yeah, I got mine in the first couple of months, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, the uh, 
Yeah, the history of this is long, and I'm guessing that Nintendo is probably going to try really hard this next generation because it has been so prevalent. You know, next generation, if there's a way they could lock things down and assert more control and try to reduce how many people are just going on and downloading, because like with how many millions of Switch players there are, I'm sure that the number of them that are, you know, at this point, maybe not even paying for games and just, you know, downloading pirated copies like it's not nothing like in that ratio. Nintendo's probably got to be losing some money. And that's, you know, the case everybody always has against piracy as being a negative thing, which it is like these are new games that are being sold. So the access well, is there. You know, I don't know that they're lo- I mean, they're losing money, but are they losing like tons of money? Like the people that are I mean, I'm just saying with like this. The hundreds of millions of people that have Switch. Yeah. You know, like they're losing it. some actual amount of money. Yeah. I think the most of these people are probably playing on Steam Deck, to be honest. Like, I don't know how many people are like hacking a Switch and doing that. I oh, mean, there's they're like emulating the Switch. Yeah, dude. Like most people, most of these games, like you could play the new Zelda game on Steam Deck. You can play all the Nintendo games on Steam Deck. Yeah. So, but there's yeah, not like, really that many Steam Decks. Eh, yeah, that's true. I mean, but PC in general, it could still be played on PC. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't have to be played on the, you know, on Steam Deck or handheld mode. Yeah, that's on true. Anything. So, and there's a lot more PC users than there are, you know, Nintendo yeah. and Sony and all that. So, um, oops, I just hit my mic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know that Nintendo's losing a ton of money. I mean, most Nintendo fans are like hardcore Nintendo fans that are going to buy the physical copy because they think it's going to be a million dollars in value 10 years from now. So, you know, I, I think the bulk of these like ROM leaks are going towards people that traditionally weren't going to buy the game anyways, you know, so are they losing a ton of money? Eh, yes and no at the same time. Because mm-hmm. those people probably don't even own a Switch to begin with, so they're not going to make their money 100% regardless. Yeah. But I could see the Switch successor, and like most consoles that they've released have been hackable over the years, so I could Yeah, see. it's going to happen. No matter what they try to do, it's it's a futile. Yeah. Yeah, it's, somebody's going to crack it down the road. Like, you're not going to stop it. You can make it hard for hackers and, and people to modify this or just modders, but it's going to happen. There's no way to stop it. Yeah. Well, yeah, unless unless there's a safety feature that like blows up your switch and burns it out, <laughs> which honestly, that'd be pretty cool. I'm so excited stuff. to finally get news about the new switch. Like, I know that it's probably going to be coming sometime early next year, and that's right around the corner because it's been just so long of rumors about switch Two that I'm over it. I want to see what the gimmick's going to be. I want to see what they're going to do so that people can stop speculating. I think it's going to be the Super Nintendo Switch Wii U Pro. That's that's got to be the name, right? <laughs> Pro Plus Limited. Pro Plus Limited. Yeah, yeah. And then you pay. It's got a uh, what do you call it? Um, loot boxes on there to be able to get like certain unlockables for your Switch. Nice. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening, Ryan. All right. Next thing here is a zero punctuation ends as the escapist faces mass resignations after EIC firing. Uh, this is by Forbes, and it's Paul Tassi, which mm-hmm. we've done Paul Tassi before. I'll let you lead this. You uh, seem very excited about, or not excited, but like you, you're more semi excited. Yeah. So, um, 
if anybody doesn't know the escapist is like an online publication they do a lot of like gaming news and things like that um i don't really follow the escapist so much but i think like a year or two i started watching uh yahtzee croshaw who if you don't know him he does zero punctuation um it's something that maybe you don't recognize the name but you probably recognize the visual it's kind of like a a white um blob stick figure kind of guy with a yellow background he's got british voice loves to throw around some salty language and talk real fast about video games um he's been doing it for a long long time and he's been a part of what they've been doing over at the escapist so I guess this last week they let go of their editor in chief, Nick Calandra. And I guess he was basically kind of the heart and soul of the operation. I just saw they had a, uh, a new podcast come out the other day uh, featuring Nick and Yahtzee. And they kind of talked about what happened, laid it all out. Um, you know, he was just kind of let go. And so were some other people and, after hearing that Yahtzee and some other people decided, you know what, like he's the person who's been leading this ship and he's the person who has the ideas that we, you know, want to get behind. So they all left with him in support. And within a week, they've turned around uh, a Patreon, all social media presence, um, launched, uh, you know, this first episode of a podcast and are starting to move forward as second wind. And this is going to be, you know, wholly owned by them. So they won't be under the thumb of, you know, whoever the people behind the escapist are, you know, they're urging everybody not to don't speak out against the escapist. It's not the writers and the people there's fault. It's the money people behind the scenes fault, you know, that anything happens really. So, you know, they just want to move forward from here and, you know, keep creating great content and you know just keep their presence up and going and it seems like so far the support has just been so overwhelming that they didn't even miss a beat you know just instantly they, he was telling a story like he had made the patreon hadn't even got anything set up and before he could like get anything like finalized on it somebody already found it and signed up for the highest tier so yeah i mean it helps when you have like hundreds of thousands of followers yeah <laughs> to do something like that um, but it is good that they were able to kind of kick that off and, uh, you know, and get back to a, a normal for them in a way. Yeah, I don't I don't to... have much I don't have much to say on this topic, to be honest, because um, I, I wasn't super familiar with them and it's not something I followed. But I do think it's pretty cool overall, like what happened, not what happened, but like what they did with what happened. Yeah, yeah. It's very impressive just how much they were able to kind of like stick together and you know decide hey we can if we all stick together and work hard we can weather through this together and so you know the games industry and the games media you know are both being heavily hit by layoffs and you know it's affecting real people but that's like that bond of workers you know is why a lot of those places are trying to unionize as well i mean there's a lot that the corporations don't really give a shit about so you know we're better off together than relying on them and this is another great example of that so i just thought with uh how long 
you know, zero punctuation's been going on. I think they said in the podcast like 16 years or something that he's been putting out content nice. like that. So, um, but he doesn't own that. The Escapist owns that, you know, whole thing as far as they know right now. So he's rebranding under uh, another name of a platform that he already owns. Um, I think it was fully ramblematic is what mm. they said it's going to be. And they're looking to get right back into it. I think next week with the first episode of that, and then going like bi-weekly from there. So very nice, you know, good for them. Well, Ryan, I got to tell you here on the game of flaters, um, you just, you didn't hit expectations on the number of five-star reviews that have been left on our, our various platforms. So we're going to have to let you go, Ryan. Yeah, I know. But let's first get through this uh, inflation deflation challenge, and then and then we'll talk about it. We'll see if maybe hey, we get the I own stuff. the rights to the inflation deflation challenge. I think you do actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, get started here. So, inflation deflation of Top Gear on the Super Nintendo. It was developed by Gremlin Graphics. It was published by Chemco. I am questioning at Gremlin Graphics because I feel like there's something else that pops up on screen. Uh, it was programmed by Richie Brannon, Ashley Bennett, and Simon Blake. Released in April of 1992. It is a racing game. And reception is around an 8 out of 10, roughly. So, Ryan, synopsis, please. Uh, so, it marks the first game in the Top Gear racing game franchise. And it is one of the first racing games to be released for the Super Nintendo. Uh, racers are given a choice between four different controller layouts. Choice between automatic and manual transmission. And your choice of four unique cars. Uh, this is a, like, you know, mode seven coming at you kind of racing game on here. And I, I don't really have a whole lot of history with this, you know, time period in racing games. Like the first racing games I remember playing were like, uh, what are they? The ones in the um, arcade. Oh, Cruising like USA the, or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I played those and then I got Gran Turismo for PS1 and I was never good enough to actually play that game. So most of my racing game history is not from this era. The little that I do have experience with, but I really enjoyed this. Like this is the game you always see somebody playing when it's like you see somebody playing a Super Nintendo in like a show or something. They're playing this game. Yeah, this to me is one of the greatest racing games on the Super Nintendo. Uh, dude, every aspect of it, like, you know, you mentioned the cars, right? So one car has high fuel consumption, uh, but it has, you know, faster. How do you speed get and, more fuel? Uh, fuel. Con there's pit stops. There are. I never used one. Now, which color car did you use? The white one. Yeah, I did too. That's the the amateur car is the white one. The amateur car has less fuel consumption. Um, it's pretty balanced on speed overall, uh, but its grip on the tires is much harder. So like when you're doing those turns, you have to stop typically uh, because oh, of that. No brakes, baby. And then, yeah, no brakes half the time. I usually just kind of let go of the pedal. And then the purple and blue car are kind of just crap. Like they're okay. They're, if you want to challenge, they got like moderate fuel consumption they don't have the highest speed. Their tire grip is okay. It's not the best. So that's more of like the challenge component there. And then with the racing itself. So you have all these different countries that you qualify for races. So uh, like this start you off in the USA, which is like the easiest one. Like Las Vegas is literally like a triangle map. 
and you go through that and just kind of get your bearings set and and race through them. But you have to race in it. You have to be in the top five um, of every race to qualify for the next race. If you fail in one race, say you're on race number four and you fail on that to hit top five, you automatically have to restart the entire country. Dang. So it is password coded though. So like moon bath, for example, is the passcode to get into the next area after the United States. And then you have all of your races that are taking place there. The one thing I've always had like a big issue with, with this game, for example, is I was on the last race and I think it was South America. Right. And I was technically place number four, but I got sixth place on my fourth race out of the set. I ended up not qualifying with the passcode, oh. even though standing wise, I finished number four. Yeah, I was like, come on, like, really? I was two points behind. You're not going to give it to me. So that kind of sucked. Um, and then the music on this game and the graphics, I think, are great for, mm-hmm. for what you're experiencing. Like, it's not like cars are just kind of appearing out of nowhere. Like you see them coming like early on. So you can kind of dodge and weave traffic uh, or weave within the racing. And then the music, there's like four tracks essentially music tracks that are part of this game and they're all great i think that they're phenomenal i wish there was more music but um i'll take what i can get with this game but it's one of my favorites my brother and i used to play it all the time we were younger i would use a white car he would use a red car or blue car actually so now i know why i always won now that i'm older uh just because of uh the dynamics on those vehicles and then via the racing um you know, the actual levels, various levels. Um, some will have sharper turns and have like these triangles. Some have signs, some have rocks and different things that you could end up hitting. If you crash into other cars in front of you, it slows you down automatically, pushes them up. It seems like 50 feet uh, in the process. So um, there's a lot of like unique pieces to this game that I never really experienced in other games growing up um, as far as racing is concerned. And it, it still today remains one of my favorites. Yeah, I really like the uh, the backgrounds like the night city background was really cool. I like the the San Francisco track, how it had like hills and stuff that you were going up and down and it was really well like executed for what they're able to, you know, you know what they had to work with back then. Um, It took me until the last race of the USA to get a first place finish. I started at fourth and then I got a little bit better each race after that. But it was um, it was a ton of fun. I really like this game. This is definitely a game that I would sit down and play again. And uh, getting into brass tacks, we'll go over why that is uh, probably pretty easy. So complete inbox will run you uh, 4662. That peaked at 5799 back in August of 2023. Right now, that's currently trending up. A loose copy, though, that will run you 1012. That peaked at 1522 back in July of 21, and that is trending down currently. I mean, for 10 bucks for a Super Nintendo game, hell yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. and and it's, and you know, four cars, and then the fact that you've got, like, there's, what, 10, 12, con- not even, I think it's like 15 countries and different tracks that you can race through. And, uh, you know, one thing we didn't point out, like, from the development aspect, is that the, the game Lotus... I think is what it is on, on Sega. Mm-hmm. A lot of these are like remixed tracks from that game. So if you enjoyed Lotus, this is a game that you might enjoy as well uh, based on those remixes of tracks. But I wish it had a single screen mode. Yeah, that that is kind of 
something I, I don't like having the computer on the second screen underneath. Um, but it's also kind of helpful because if you're playing a white car and it's playing a red car and it's like, oh, going in for pit stop, you can kind of that's your main competition is that red screen car. looking. Yeah. So you could screen look and actually <laughs> just determine like, oh, OK, they're going for pit stop. I'm in a white car. I need to go for pit stop in my next part or my next lap or I need to go with it, whatever it may be, and just kind of even out. So like, yeah, it, it's kind of helpful to have that. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, 10 bucks for a game that has tons and tons of tracks, great music, great controls, great gameplay. Um, you know, it's it's highly reviewed in that eight out of 10 range. I think it's totally deflated at 10 bucks. And you know what? I would go so far as to say this is a game with with dope box art. Yeah, I like the box is. art on this yeah. one. Like this is one like for. I don't know, man. Do you think for like. 45 bucks you'd pick this up complete in box i mean manual think, and everything think about some of the indie racing games that have been coming out in recent years complete in box at 60 70 sometimes mm-hmm. 45 bucks is actually a pretty smoking deal if you're looking for like true retro gaming on a console and having like that like a nice minty box oh yeah i I would agree yeah i'm not gonna go out and buy one because i have a a loose cart yeah you don't need the box but like if this was a game that you really liked i mean you could probably pick up the box is 17 bucks manuals eight bucks so i mean you could assemble this voltron style for less than 45 bucks yeah you theoretically could maybe that's worth me looking into Mm mm-hmm all right, so it looks like we are both deflated on this one. Um, <clears throat> definitely pick up a copy of Top Gear if you got a Super Nintendo or one of his other consoles that plays random Super Nintendo games and stuff like a Retron. And uh, let us know what you think. Well, I did not think ahead uh, for this week and what we're playing next week in person, but maybe Pocky and Rocky since you want to play it. Yeah, yeah, I do. All right, let's I, play I've Pocky been and Rocky. stuff about Pocky and Rocky for a long time. Yeah, let's play Pocky and Rocky Reshrine next week on the podcast. Uh, But this has been episode 260 of the Game Players podcast. My name is John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.